0: And welcome to the Dice of Screaming Podcast. Arr! That doesn't sound well. <laughs> oh, you should have a cleric look at that. Hey, I'm Randy. It's, uh,
1: I'm Pony, because I'm a little horse. Oh, <laughs> I got gotcha.
0: you. Yeah, dad joke for the win. Okay, right out the gate with that one. <laughs> well, you're in for a rough ride, folks. Hey, welcome, and today we're going to be talking about... Something that we've been promising came up in the Augury last time. We're going to be having an Arthurium Film Festival here at the Dice of Screaming. So, yep, we're going to be reviewing three films, Excalibur, Sword of the Valiant, and King Arthur, the 2004 adaptation. And we're going to be looking at each one of those, talking about them, talking about gaming, of course, what game would we be talking about, but Pendragon, when you want to start about that. So, we're going to be bringing that out, as well as talking about some of the neat things that are very readily adaptable to just not Pendragon, but other role-playing games in general. So, hey, uh, welcome to it, and we're gonna dive right in. So, Mike, why don't you start us off with our first film here in the film category. Oh, uh, lovingly, uh,
1: (laughs) we begin with Excalibur, which, now, we're not going to really Drop into the debate of historical realism.
0: Yeah, so, th- that's right out the window.
1: Yeah, this. Our, our approval or disapproval of a film, for the purposes of this podcast, let me just get it right out on the table from the get go. That our goal is to describe like entertainment value overall, which is a blend of like the right amount of historical accuracy, some quality actors good props and like period environment, uh, and then an engaging film to watch and enjoy. Uh, And so at the top of the list, although there are plenty of factors working against it, Excalibur to us really stands out at the top of the pack because there have been some apocryphal disasters, Uh, the worst we're not even going to cover here. Okay, we're, we're not even touching those with a borrowed 10-foot pole uh, that the rogue got from a questionable source.
0: Because you'd expect no less.
1: Oh, you'd expect no less from the dirty trip of gaming podcasts.
0: That's right. You would have to have a clerk to look at that, otherwise you'll be eating lockjaw. <laughs>
1: Yeah, iron rations go down hard enough, uh, normally, without lockjaw.
0: Yeah, not to mention how they come out the other end.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's it's not a pretty Mm -hmm. picture either. (laughs) You need the cleric for that, too. He's taking care of both ends. Oh, God, I got the flux again. (laughs) Somebody get me prunes.
0: (laughs) So, Um, yeah. um,
1: Excalibur.
0: Yeah, well, like you said, though... We're going to start off with the best of the heap, and we think that Excalibur, while it lacks historical relevancy and is just as much a made up fairy tale as anything else, that's what the beauty of the King Arthur fantasy and mythos is. It's really what you make of it, and you know, it is the probably the most faithful adaptation of Sir Thomas Mallory's Arthur de la Moore, but it If you look at it from the point of probably where King Arthur took place, it has absolutely nothing to do with that. People running around in full plate with all kinds of pole arms and weapons. Completely out of period. But yet, we're talking about the High Romantic Age of Chivalry and the idealism of what Mallory was tapping into when he wrote this. Yeah, you're dealing with
1: like 12th century romanticization of uh, ancient British mythology. Uh, whereas, like all, if you go back to uh, Godfrey of Monmouth's or Geoffrey of Monmouth's uh, Historia Regium Britannica, that's uh, a that heavy yeah I history of British Gosh, kings. I... You know, Arthur gets first mention. Uh, you know, it, that's the first semi-authoritative historical source. Okay, because uh, even other you know records and sources uh, contradicted the you know Geoffrey of Monmouth's. Uh, semi-fictionalized, uh, legacy of British kings, but there was some, yeah, you know, some factual data intruded into his, you know, uh, fanciful, uh, retelling of Britain's origins. So, you know, here's this stuff coming out of, uh, really Iron Age, uh, you know, pre, like, before the Dark Ages, uh, you know, the beginning of the Christianization of, uh, you know, Northern Europe and Britain. Uh, the armor, weapons, and stuff like that, extremely different from almost anything you see in any representation in film. Uh, why? Because it was cruder, uh, less exciting, less romanticized, uh, than the stuff... If It's a weird irony that Thomas Mallory was writing of an ancient almost pre-Christian era of British history. And the movies place that all unfolding in an era more similar to the like pre-Renaissance, you know, medieval England uh, of that time. So it it is just a weird irony that, you know, the films uh, sync up more with the first big writing of an Arthurian tale uh, in terms of timeline than they do with the actual time uh, in which you know Arthurian legend is supposed to be set, so yeah, all movies are bedeviled by that, and Excalibur is too. But that sure. doesn't. But mean they don't even. It doesn't sucks. even
0: blink. It doesn't even try. It just no. does, and they, they go they right get in into
1: there, and they just.
0: Poof, we're doing this. So you have a great cast in this one, including Liam Neeson, Patrick Stewart. Liam Neeson was uh, Gawain. Yeah, you really can't go wrong with, like, quality
1: actors, okay? this And, of
0: course, the scene-stealer, uh, Nicole Williamson as Merlin, and, of course, uh, Helen Mirren as Morgana. Yeah! Wow. Uh, yeah, so this film was in the early 80s, and if you were playing D&D back in the day, this was a must-see. And if you caught it like I did on Skinamax, <laughs> you definitely got, you know, the visual treat that was this movie, because... It is gorgeous on so many levels of the knights running around on horses and gleaming swords, so it captures perfectly the romance of the era. And it's uh, directed by John Borman, which, you know, that's no small pedigree there, If you knock aside deliverance, but either way, uh, it tells pretty much the, the tale that we're all familiar with, uh, that he, his father, Uther Pendragon and Merlin, uh, he's conceived through uh, Merlin's sorcery, a uh, tricking Making him appear as the Duke of Cornwall so he can get close to Yggdrasil. And Merlin takes the young babe born later after Uther finds himself slain, even though Excalibur seems to desert him at the last minute. <laughs> it's because he did not live up to the expectations that the sword had.
1: Yeah, being. And this is one of the popular included myths in all of the best, I think, one of the inclusions in the best versions of uh, Arthurian mythos... Yeah, T.H. White's the, the Once and Future King. The hubris factor, okay? The the failing of people who are well-intentioned and, you know, noble at heart. I mean, they're trying. Uh, but the kind of frailty that comes of uh, success, where people who have shown great courage and absolute commitment even they are capable of making a flawed decision you know, like they, they place their personal wants too high on the list instead of focusing on what they ought to do and there's a you know historical mythological admonition to every listener uh, that is tucked in there like so many ancient tales there's a lesson being taught to everybody who hears it. Yeah. And I
0: think that's indicative of the soundtrack of this, that they have Wagner, Orff, and... Uh, oh, yeah, they went with the
1: classical music
0: soundtrack, which,
1: super impressive
0: choice. Yeah. Um, you can say what you want about Wagner, but they made very great use of the music at appropriate times. Just not right of the Valkyries, but... Oh, no, yeah, I mean, if you want some... Uh, Thus Spoke Zarathustra and a couple others. That yeah. Personal favorite. And... It adds to the scenery of it, and of course the scenery is by uh, Nicole Williamson, Williamson, who plays Merlin. He just literally lights up the screen every time he's on there, and pretty much takes you out of the motif of the pointy-hat, heavily-bearded Merlin, almost decrepit. He is a a character who is vibrant and strangely outside of everything.
1: Yeah, the classical Merlin description was, you know, of a person who was of questionable heritage and, you know, people often did not understand his intentions. Uh, you know, in many cases he was not seen as like some trusted, sagely advisor, but rather as a kind of neutral outside force that could not be completely depended upon. And in many circumstances that leads Yeah, they
0: bring that up in the film where they say you betrayed Uther... And he didn't, but no. uh, yeah, he kind of betrayed himself but... exactly like <laughs> I did what he said. I didn't sleep for three days, three nights just so your father could go sleep with a grain yeah, I... yeah
1: that like <laughs> Merlin you'll you'll see a recurring theme in in the films with any historical accuracy at all uh, any like classical references to the tales. Merlin is often the guy who he's not entirely trusted but he is useful and he persistently is like I don't think that sounds like a good idea. And then, of course, the Brave Knight is like, but my penis thinks this idea is awesome. There is no way I cannot do this. Sorry. And, you know, things then go awry. Yeah, Uh, So, yeah, this... Excalibur delivers a terrific Merlin as well as a very And the author. third
0: character in the film is Excalibur. Literally, the sword factors a great deal in this. Even though it doesn't have a speaking part and only appears, its appearance is very dramatic when it is necessary.
1: Well, yeah, that it's kind of the silent partner of the story because...
0: You know, Urien, or excuse me, Pendragon Uther Pendragon putting it into the stone and saying, no one shall draw this but me as he's dying. Yeah. And...
1: And Merlin declaring afterwards that whomsoever draws this sword from the stone shall be king. And, you know, then the question comes, you know, when will the legitimate, you know, when will the the king arise that the land will pick? The sword will know for us. Uh, Fascinating that, like, mythology so often, like, takes things out of the hands of people making decisions and depends on a sign from the gods that will fix this for us. I just thought that was a cute side note. but
0: Yeah, yeah. everybody takes jousting to a, a competition to see if they can take a turn at drawing the sword. Yeah. And Patrick Stewart's uh, character, who is uh, reluctantly the stepfather or foster father of Arthur. Yes. And Sir Kay, uh, he gets, you know, Arthur uh, forgets, Sir Kay forgets his sword, so Arthur just draws the sword out of the stone and, Where'd you get this? Oh, I just threw it out. Saw one over there. It was yeah. stuck in and rock. then the rest of the knights don't want to accept it, even though it's right before their eyes. Put it back in, takes it back out, and then puts it back in, and nobody can draw it out. Sir Uriens, <laughs> his first duty as king is to forgive <laughs> Sir, Sir Uriens, who is running against uh, Patrick Stewart's character. Uh, we'll say it's so Lendigrants. Leandigrants. Yes, Sir Leandigrants. And he is being besieged by Uriens, and then. Arthur shows up with at the, minute, <laughs> at the nick of time and uh, saves the day, drives off Urian's forces, but spares him in a true kingly fashion and thus proves that he does have the right to rule and has all the right characteristics. And, of course, then he gets married to Gu- Guinevere and then the whole thing starts again over. And, of course, with him fighting Lancelot and using, invoking the power of Excalibur in a moment of vanity and pride, Ah, uh, yes. He has to beg another chance and brings Lancelot back to life, who becomes his lifelong friend and great champion. And, of course, then Morgana shows up. And, of course, the tale plays out pretty well as Arthur is put into a torpor or languid sleep n- waking nightmare where uh, Morgana tempts him and conceives of incestuously her uh, son, Mordred. And then Percival and the others go find, and Sir Gawain go find, the Holy Grail and bring it back to Arthur. Which of course then, uh, you know, the great uh, Carl Orff, the O Fortuna, plays as he goes to the uh, Apple Blossoms to go retrieve, to see Guinevere one last time.
1: Ah, yes. Uh, While the film deviates from some of the early classical mythology in many respects, The truth is, they wove something that very much had the feel, okay, the the sense of it belonging in the Canaan mythos, Uh, almost to such a degree that many people who remember this film now mistake portions of um, it as factual, like, linked
0: to Arthurian mythos.
1: It's not... It, it yeah. they pretty much they respects. have to take
0: the entire but they saga did and great Yeah, if you had to take the entire saga and boil it down, you couldn't do worse than they did with this. Yeah. And of course so Arthur Reinvigorated goes out and faces Mordred and this epic yeah, almost Ragnarok could, Clash you, of the Gods. Rather
1: we should say they could
0: do a lot worse oh, well, they yeah. could do a lot worse and yeah. boy did they ever, so almost but, everything is a step down from this, but they
1: Yeah, this this is one where they did it in such a fashion that much of it felt like it could have been. Uh, like a like a what-if Marvel tale. Right. You know, it was a, hey, you know, this, this could be a thing. You know, it just had that air about it that I approve of. So uh, it's a big factor in why I still think of this as our number one choice right, because for enjoyable Arthurian mythos movies. Right.
0: You don't have to have a large entry level. You can just sit back and enjoy it on its visual as well as its poetic style. It uses music and cinematography to good effect to weave a very convincing Arthurian tale. And I think that's what the point...
1: Yeah, the acting was uh, pretty on point. It may seem a little ham-fisted to some people now because it was done in a very, like, almost Shakespearean style where the the people, you know, made statements and gave speeches of great importance. And, you know, a lot of the dramatics with, like, a... You know, warriors, like, just drop into their knees in, you know, armor and just, you know... uh, offering fealty right there on the spot after a brutal fight. Uh, There's a lot of great moments that I I think are, you know, classical high fantasy, which is why this this film just, it wins on a lot of points despite some inadequacies.
0: And the thing that, uh, for gaming, especially if you're running Pendragon, that you can remember is uh, that... Pendragon's just like Excalibur in a lot of ways. They don't even apologize for it. They just say, yep, you're totally wearing a full plate that was not even in the fashion at this point in time. Even though you're fighting wild Saxon hordes or holding court with the king in areas that were not completely settled in this area that would have castles in it, Yeah, they're not worried about that because you're telling a mythic tale. In this film probably more than any other, embodies what it is like to play Pendragon. You are ruled by your character's stats and lusts and your virtues, as well as your sins. And each one of the characters has a particular failing. When, uh, As I said, the when Lancelot and Guinevere finally gave in to their love, as they... Uh... Yeah, consummated their, their love suddenly right there is Excalibur stabbed into the, the earth on their cloak where they lay Yeah, Arthur knew that's all they had to know and of course Lancelot runs away completely shriven that he has d- betrayed his liege
1: yeah and fascinatingly uh, Lancelot's tragic love you know is an inclusion in some of the romanticized myths yep. uh, that came much later than the original tale there were expansions people built upon the legendary adding the knights and the holy grail and things as time went on uh, you know much of that did not appear in uh you know Godfrey of Monmouth's casual right. mention of Arthur but in the intervening uh, you know hundreds of years by the time you got the evolution of Sir Thomas Malory's Le Morte d'Arthur Uh, you finally start to see these wonderful additional tales uh, all included in that one compilation, uh, by which point you you get the Lancelot romance. And I always thought that, uh, you know, Lancelot would not have been described as a lusty character given to great weakness. His failing, fascinatingly, was almost an extension of too much loyalty. Mm -hmm. He had absolute fidelity and love for his king and queen. And he was tempted in the sense that his adoration and love of the queen had started to outweigh his absolute obedience and fidelity to his king. Uh, That he loved her too much. His fidelity was too great to that one person And he wound up shaming himself, breaking a vow. Uh, And, yeah, it was almost a perfect representation of the flawed, courtly love of literature from that era.
0: Yep, and of course they play on the charm of making heavily on this. And the myth of the dragon, that if you were to see the dragon in its entirety, it would strike you dead. Yes. And, of course, what it is the king and the, the land... Pendragon are one and the same. The Mystery of the Grail. So, yeah, that's a very deep point that hits right in the middle of Arthurian myth. And that one fits perfectly with the Pendragon. But if you wanted to also take like the first edition deities and demigods in the Arthurian mythos, you know what? If you use this movie and uh, Arthur de la as a guide, you could do no worse. But the other big thing is you have several key characters playing in and out of at the periphery of this story that pulls you close and pulls you into the movie and gives you a grounding so that is also another important part is Arthur is still at the end of his days still attended by Sir Kay his yeah. elder brother who kind of picked on him seen <laughs> him as his squire and now is his still buddy yeah and now is still his loyal. So, yeah, we give this movie a big one, and also, like I said, the charm of making is a deep mystery that can be used for many ways, but in Morgana's case, he used the charm of making to make potions and elixirs to muddle men's minds, where Merlin used it in a much different way, and also the crystal cave, which we've talked about in the previous examination of Arthurian myth. But uh, Alright, right, will put that one to bed. We like Excalibur, it's a top of the form and... Yeah,
1: it's not a perfect movie, but like the, in the final tally, as we looked at the variety of other things out there, it just really came across as the one that we think of as like the, the best thing available.
0: Yeah, it's not a full doing of, or full send up of... Arthur could be and of course nothing in that movie really can encompass the entirety of the Arthurian mythos as they span throughout the ages and they're still continually rewritten retold and put back into a new shape which is going to bring us to our augury for the moment so it's, I think it's time for us to cast our gaze to the future So, super wait, appropriate I said gaze. why would I say gaze I feel strange when I say that word anyway continue <laughs> let us cast the augury all right. What do the future foretold? Uh, the
1: Oniromancer. I, I, I let the images in my dreams guide me to predict the future, uh, to see into distant places. And my eyes
0: fell upon uh, the... Oh, it was the uh, Magic the Gathering, right? We were, for the future episode, we were going to yeah. do... Yep. Oh, okay.
1: Uh, the augury I have cast,
0: uh, the future is...
1: Magic the Gathering's recent release of Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. Uh, Literally, just like the big release was this past weekend, and I got a chance to look at it. Uh, And so we'd like to do a little examination of the most recent and largest scale fusion of both Wizards of the Coast's famous magic and, of course, D&D's famous Forgotten Realms. Yeah, they had Worth done an examination.
0: Well, they have done Ravnica 2, 5th edition, and yes. it's kind of fitting that they take D&D and do it into magic. Yeah. So I'm glad I hung on to that Siobhan dragon after all, huh?
1: I'm saying, right? You okay. know, still a favorite card. Classic.
0: And dragon whelps. With that Tiamat card, I hear that's pretty big.
1: Oh. Oh, my. Dragon wolf. Classic. I love the little dragon whelp. Uh, but not as much as I love the old rabid wombat. Hmm.
0: So. <laughs> well, we won't talk about that. But All right. Yeah, anyway, yeah. So we'll be covering that in our next podcast. So make sure that, as your owner answer, he has revealed your dreams. So shall it be made into reality? We'll do that next week. So tune in. All right. Getting back on to our Arthurian review. We're going to come up on a second one. Now, this one is very much like our first, where we covered the mythology of the Arthurian mythos rather than a historical book. And Mike has the necessary chops to put both into perspective. And with that groundwork laid, uh, we're going to leap right into Sword of the Valiant, The Legend of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. Uh, this was a 1984 film, and it starred Miles O'Keefe and had also a cast of characters that would later become more familiar. Uh, it had Peter Cushing, Sean Connery, yeah. Okay. Quality staffing here, okay. and uh, also, uh, oh my goodness, I just forgot his name, uh, John Reese Davies. Oh, so yes. Nice one. So yeah, it's got a lot of characters in there, and uh, I think uh, was it a lot of people you'd think of as uh, highly. Yeah, Trevor Howard. There you go. There we are, Trevor Howard. Yep, as Arthur. And so
1: my favorite takeaway from this of course, is Sean Connery as the Green Knight.
0: Oh, yeah. Now, right again with Pendragon, you would be right at home. This would fit right into any Arthurian campaign. Right in the middle of winter, a knight of seemingly spectral and almost druidic quality strides in right into the hall and makes wild boasts that anybody can take his head with his axe. If they're brave enough, Step, let him step forward. One cut. But he has a caveat. If he manages to survive somehow. He gets to return the same cut.
1: <laughs>
0: so Arthur called out, none of his knights will defend him. A young Miles O'Keefe and Sir Gawain, a squire, accepts the challenge and lets the Green Knight take a strike. But the Green Knight says, no, you're too young. You have not tasted life. I'm going to give you a year, and then I'm going to come back. And So Sir Gawain uh, finds out that, yeah, when you cut off the Green Knight's head... It doesn't stop him. He just gets <laughs> across the room, puts it back on, and he's just fine.
1: Yeah, you're going to need another way to beat him.
0: Uh, uh, uh. So the Green Knight gives him a quest, a riddle, which where life is emptiness, gladness, and where life is darkness, fire. Where life is golden, sorrow, and when life lost, wisdom. He must find the answers to each one of these in that year, and he will let him live if he is able to fulfill those conditions. So it starts off, and of course they run right afoul as soon as his hasty entrance into knighthood is given. Uh, They try to go unicorn hunting, probably something that would happen in many Arthurian campaigns. Hey, look, it's a unicorn. It must taste magically delicious.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Uh, Also, you know, I personally think it's slang code for like, we're just really going to go out and, you know, ride around on horses and get wasted. Yeah. Okay, that uh, unicorn hunting is synonymous with, like, we're gonna have a party that is totally legitimate. It's it's basically the ancient world's hunting camp weekend. Uh, and hey, you know what? Good forum, man, have fun. Uh, life's short. Uh, but the wonderful thing about this movie, despite, once again, uh, in some respects, it violates the historical context in many ways, uh, you know, all the same sins, uh, as many of the other Arthurian movies, but this one distinguishes itself in that it has focused not so much upon Arthur himself but on one of the Knights of the Round Table uh, and, you know, the, the actual uh, classical myth surrounding that particular knight. There is one particular tale of, you know, Sir Gawain and the, the Green Knight. And although this is a fanciful reinterpretation of it, I think they made a really solid film out of this. Just it delivered entertainment value for its time period,
0: right. certainly and better the, than most. And the, he goes through a series of challenges finding uh, one of the cities of the lost that's uh, only there once every ten years, and all the inhabitants are kept in a sort of a stasis during that time, and then only one week during those 10 years are they allowed to move about. And uh, he finds a love there that is bittersweet. And uh, Gwen, although tries to rescue her from her alleged Baron, uh, the Black Knight, yes. and uh, he ends up finding that he is somehow breaking the rules of the game and he has to return back to the time. His time. And he, but he in the turn gets a magic ring yeah. that allows him to be invisible.
1: Oh yeah, classical mythology there. Okay, that, you know, that, and of course, D&D <laughs> harvested everything from, you know... Uh, right, uh, and you know, but, so... You know, th- this is just, they're comfortably in classic turf here. Uh, I do want to mention that... Uh, it distinguishes itself as a film because it's really about a comparatively young man uh, who comes from an advantageous position and whose heart is in the right place. You know, he does not want for courage, but he lacks wisdom. Uh, you know, that boldness—it's actually very important—but it's a quality that you know a truly great knight has to temper. Uh, and the story of Sir Gawain is. You know a series of trials and tests that slowly bring him the wisdom that he is going to need to win his own life back uh, you know with that sort of Damocles hanging over his head like that That one. he will have now. a
0: fateful meeting with the Green Knight one day it's, it's coming
1: you know that you got a GPS tracker on you for an ass whooping uh, and you know that check is cashed it's coming so uh, I think that made a particularly compelling uh, story for a movie. Even though it's one of the lesser known Knights of the Round Table, you know, a a less thought of. Everybody's like, King Arthur, Lancelot, Guinevere, here's Sir Gawain at his best. And I just loved that, Uh, especially, you know, him up against a Sean Connery who has a wonderful mocking sense of like, like, I already know all the outcomes, I have all the wisdom. You, on the other hand, could use some. So, here's the deal. Get out there and get wise. Yeah, he
0: basically sits and chews scenery in that really cool druidic armor. Yeah. And they're not shy about the druidic symbolism. I mean, covered with mistletoe and thorns. Exactly.
1: I, he is just... And antlers for uh, a crown. The antler, He is the ancient world's like perception of the green man or the... the Hern the, uh, her the... hunter. Hunted, uh, you know, Hern the hunter. Uh those representations all come alive in what they created for sean connery's outfit and appearance and mannerisms and it was well done i, I in that respect there like, i'm not saying there aren't some oh it it's it's got it's stuff. it's
0: got its moments where it kind of hits and miss but it ends with a great battle and uh, as everyone should every good movie should and of course he confronts the green knight and uh, you'll have to watch the ending but uh spoil alert, bonk, gosh. The scene of Sean Connery in this one is splendid he gets to chew scenery as he dies even then and he does it well okay
1: I mean it, it's not corny at all it fits in the tone and intent of the movie and while again I'm, I'm not going to go out Leoness
0: on the Lost I'm trying to remember I finally remember the name of that city the Lost City of Leoness was ah. a big in Arthurian realms once every ten years it would appear and only for a brief time ah wonderful and, uh, of course, the, the lady that he meets there and helps escape and all that, uh, she turns back to a swan. Yes. You know, the swanomy.
1: Correct. Uh, like Arthurian mythos, uh, one of the reasons we love it.
0: I mean, honestly, it, it plays so heavily. So, yeah, so too. many uh, tropes in d can be done here. A magic ring. Um, it is also the whole point that it's not always about Arthur. It's not all Arthur all the time. It's about the knights. And here's a knight who comes to the Quickly to the fullness and realizes the bitterness of war and loss and love. And yeah, it's a nice coming of age story done in the Arthurian tradition. So we give this one a really strong second one. It's not perfect. It's not the best film ever made in this genre, but it is a very good entry and it's a lot stronger than most others.
1: Yeah, I gotta hand it to them. Uh, You know, looking, uh,
0: to be honest, there were only. Wait, did you just say looking? Well what no. oh no, no. we bailed our saving. Once ah. again, the Arcane Eye settles its eldritch gaze inscrutably upon you, forcing you to look at other projects around the gaming and nerdosphere. So what does the Arcane Eye focus on this week? Why it's The Heroes of Terra's Player's Guide, which is a an adaption of fifth edition DD based entirely on Irish mythology. Now this is a first outing from Oh my goodness, we just lost the page here. Uh, Yes, it's a first outing from several of the project backers here. Uh, Yeah, this
1: is their very first attempt to build a game. Uh, I believe it was, uh, you know, Jacob Dirksen. uh,
0: Yes, Jacob Dirksen, and this is their first outing. They backed many other projects, but they were funded within 24 hours, and they have a very modest goal.
1: Yeah, I don't think that they have set unreasonable expectations uh, for a first publication. I I think they've aimed for a very modest goal, uh, and they achieved their initial commitment and are already on their second stretch goal. Uh, There are 10 days left in funding this on Kickstarter, but being a huge fan of Irish mythology myself, uh, I'm pretty eager to... See what unfolds here. And the teasers are excellent. Uh, I have noticed that there is a pretty genuine familiarity with the uh, historic Irish law and tradition.
0: Right. So they give three new classes. The uh I am having a problem with this person. Is that A-C? AC. AC. Yeah, the A-C. The mysterious A she is a historic
1: fearbold
0: And the passionate Gale. Yep. And three new classes, a Fiend, a Fili, and a Warrior of the Red Branch. So if you're really into Irish and Celtic mythology, this is a must. And it's definitely worth backing. It's a modest Kickstarter, and it's got plenty of backgrounds. It's all 5th edition compatible. So they'll be coming out with other things as time goes on, but they give you enough to get started with. And so it looks like they are well on to their way of seeing this fulfilled. It's already funded, so there's just a few days to go, so if this sounds something that's in your bailiwick, well, jump right on in, because there's still plenty of time left.
1: Yeah, there appears to be high confidence for this, and I wish them luck, because you know everybody does something for the first time uh, at some point in their lives. Right. Let's hope this is the auspicious beginning to a long and you know, storied career in gaming publication.
0: So, with that, the Duration of the RKI runs its course and returns you back to your normal mundane world. Wait, we're taking a look at something? I don't remember.
1: Yeah, something about eyes. No, no, no. wait, I remember, but I wish I did not. I was haunted by the journey to that other place. Oh, yeah, we're
0: looking at some of the other pictures. So it's one of those looks at the pictures that uh, was Arthurian is one we cannot mention. You cannot mention it. It's like a basilisk, because once you do, you are turned to stone.
1: Well, he he wanted to mention it, but I said me. Nee.
0: Oh. <laughs> yeah, but I said it would, it would probably be coconuts if we did.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, uh, it, it's one of those things that uh, steals the rest of the conversation. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, it just takes the, all the air out of the room when yeah, you that, start talking.
1: That would it. be a, a one-topic podcast. Yeah,
0: we we so, can't talk about that one, but that one also is... is Doctors very heavily, but we just couldn't. We, talk could, about we it agreed It's only a flesh wound. I'm, I don't
1: Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Um, well,
0: <laughs> she turned me into a newt, she did. And I got better. See, it just doesn't stop. So, exactly. So,
1: that one we, we could not cover. I, you know, we understand that people will probably ask, why did you not mention that one? That's because it will steal everything else.
0: Uh, right. And we could have talked about the Sword in the Stone, which was a Disney animated version. We got version. lost
1: on the way and we had to eat the bard. Yeah. So.
0: <laughs> so we could have talked about the Sword in the Stone, which was an animated version, which, strangely enough, has its moments. Uh, it is. Yeah. It's. Yes, it's for a younger audience, but it also carries a little bit of the bippity boppity boo. And yeah, that's a little annoying, but. If you were in for a serious venture, then why did you even start there? But uh, another one was the first night, which, you know, uh, looking at some films, I did uh, a little research before this. I ended up watching it and I couldn't make it past the 90 minute mark. We were right there and it's like 45 minutes. I'm like, I'm pretty much, I can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's not very good. Nothing against Richard Greer. And it also contains Sean Connery as Arthur, but it just wasn't, it was more like a Lion in winter if, but more boring. (laughs) not that Lion and Winter was boring but no Lion and
1: Winter was good I mean if only it had been the Lion and Winter Uh, look I'm not dissing Richard Gere per se but I'm I'm just saying that uh, if you took all the fun stuff out of Lion and Winter yeah you'd be left with that Uh, it it was one of those uh, circumstances that I I don't think uh, you know huge planning uh, and poor delivery okay they they went with a very modernized sensibility uh they went with the actor's strengths which is you know like being you know charming roguish uh well-intentioned uh, but i don't know uh, something felt terribly un-Arthurian about it all the way through I mean, yeah the-
0: it just didn't hit the notes and it is what it is. It- you know, If you enjoyed the film, you know, make sure you tell us. Uh, let us know what we missed about that one. Like I said, I, it's a 90-minute movie, and uh, 45 minutes in, I'm like, I I can't do this.
1: Yeah, my eyeballs are burning.
0: And I'm bored silly. And, um, you know, when I'm spending more time on my phone.
1: Yeah, uh, it managed to obey the trope-riddled failures of, like, pretty much all Arthurian movies. And then to build upon them with the lack of... Uh, you know, the suspension of disbelief. You just couldn't... You, I could not find myself pulled into that world the way I was in sort of The Valiant or in Excalibur, okay? I just, I couldn't let go and enjoy. And that's kind of a crippling deficit. I, I, I don't have that problem with every movie I watch. I, I just, I usually know that I'm not gonna like something if it doesn't do enough to make me relax and enjoy...
0: Uh, yeah, I can suffer through a lot in movies. and yeah. uh, you know, Goodness gracious. Uh,
1: I'm still not over having been Van Damned.
0: <laughs> well, you've been Van Damned. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, we're not over that one. But Van I, I, I can make it through a lot of uh, horrible movies. I've I sat through some real stinkers and Claude Van Dammit. <laughs> but that was one we couldn't do. Um, no. Uh, there was one with Heath Ledger. What was that? Uh, uh, about the jousting with all the rock. Anthems, which was nominally set in an Arthurian premise, but
1: Oh, my gosh. Uh, oh. Now, that was not First Night. That was... Uh, oh,
0: goodness. Oh
1: son of a gun. I cannot recall.
0: Yeah, that. we're going to embarrass ourselves here by enough time. Yeah. Yeah. In, that one, we could Yeah, it's just escaping us because... worse. Just, <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, the Arthurian mythos really got beat up a lot.
0: Yeah. I mean, it wasn't a bad film, and if you took it on just its merits of what it is... It wasn't a bad watch, but uh, yeah, it wasn't what we felt was Arthurian for this one because we have a pretty high bar here at the Dice of Screaming podcast. No, no, we don't. We don't have any standards. <laughs> no, at we home, don't even so have a, a
1: bar. Yeah.
0: <laughs> we have to borrow one. Uh, but yes, we. that's why we borrow a, t- a used 10 foot pole.
1: Yes. Uh, from a rogue who insists that it did not, in fact, have a questionable background. Right. Uh, so. This is an ethically sourced 10 foot pole. Okay. You're sure? Well, I'm not going to tell you the story unless everybody gets really cool, really cool. about a bunch of stuff
0: really quick. <laughs> exactly. That's what that's what we're all about here at the Dice of Screaming, quality. We bring you the best. So with that, uh, we're going to bring you our low one, which is still a pretty good one. Now, this is in contrast to what we've talked about as a mythological or somewhat pretentious narrative that completely ignores historical fact. This one is King Arthur's 200, uh, 2004, rendition 200. And uh, this one is a lot more historical and pretty much goes off on its own. It really doesn't adhere much to the Arthurian mythos, but just kind of cleaves just close enough that it has the patina of an Arthurian story. Yeah, uh, per usual. I mean, and these are the most frequent sins that somebody has, like...
1: (sighs) I, I don't mean this as an insult most of these movies, because the tale is so old and so beloved and so varied, uh, and as you go further back the stories get more and more muddled, uh, I think there is a great collective sense of freedom to adjust this as people see fit and to play with it and include whatever looks like it'll be more popular in theaters. Uh, And so people do not cleave to uh, Lamarck de Arthur You know, in the most literal sense. uh, Nor do they realistically go after like, hey, let's show like, you know, some fifth-century Welsh people uh, duking it out over a piece of land. Yeah, and it's not really a popular thing to do. So, while this movie has the other sins, it's still one of the more worthy outings, which is why we we included this in the list of three. It may not be as awesome to us as the other two, but.
0: I if you wanted it's... historical accuracy, this one cleaves a lot closer, with Arthur being a half-Roman in the fifth century, fighting against the Wodes, led by Merlin yeah. in his insurgency at Harrigan's Wall. and they... There are
1: certain things they really, I mean, you know, they, they went for a fusion of, like, something genuinely historic here. Uh, ambitious, I think. Not perfect, but a good ambition.
0: And at first he starts off as a Roman loyalist and he's quickly going through the motions of trying to get with his remaining men, Lancelot, Tristan, Galahad, Bors, Gwyn and Dagonet to go forward and help salvage what's left of a Roman family north of Herodon's Wall. And also with the future son of the family patriarch being a viable candidate to be the future pope, they take on this mission, and they arrive, finding that the Roman patriarch, Martius, refuses to leave, and has enslaved the local population, and enrages Arthur. And he finds a young woman named Guinevere, and her younger brother, Lucan. Arthur frees them, and gives Marius an ultimatum, leave with them, or be taken prisoner. And they go out, and as they're fleeing with the Saxons in pursuit, Marius attempts to lead a coup, but Guinevere ends up killing him. And Arthur learns Electo and Germanus and his fellow bishops had Arthur's childhood mentor and father figure Plagus executed for his neo-pagan beliefs. And so Arthur begins to descend into his own idea of what Roman or post-Roman Britain should look like, and thus starts his quest for king. And of course, there's a big battle, and there's a lot of good things in here. I mean the armor and the research that they did into the period, especially with the woads is pretty close to what is described from historical documents of the wild Celts or Gauls of that era. The Picts as well can be also be put into there. So they put them in there and also the Baden of Baden Hill, yet not referring back to that Battle <laughs> of Baden Hill, but the actual historical one, but uh, where this the Saxons were given route and a full King. Um, it is a bit of a, a bit of a mismatch in its execution from what you, I just gathered there. It yeah. kind of plot wanders a little bit, but it does feature Arthur very steadily and it, uh, a process of discovery as well as treating Guinevere as more than just a damsel in distress as almost a bodicia like figure or... Oh yeah, bodica. Bodicia. Yeah, bodica. Okay, uh, well, the Irish queen. You say bodicia, you I say bodica. Okay. I'm well. I'm down. I like it. So yeah, it's a good movie. It's it's actually well done in shot. So it is a visual treat. And, and also Hans Zimmer's uh, score is it, it. He's pretty good. So I don't think I've ever where he's been in the background of a, a movie I've ever like fell asleep. Like oh, this movie just wants to make me uh, go to sleep so I can have root canal surgery done. Yeah, but,
1: appropriate diagenic sound. Yeah. You know. It, yeah. Good good production quality. Uh, I I don't feel like it was as moving as the narrowly focused... uh, uh, The reason it comes in third is, you know, the the narrow focus on Sir Gawain in uh, Sword of the Valiant uh, makes it like one contiguous tale
0: uh, that... Yeah, you're drawn in. You want to see how this is going to go.
1: This one, uh, ambitiously and admirably, it aimed wide. I mean, it went for a lengthy period of time at very long series of events, you know, of you know great relevance, uh, but it also meant that with that span of time and that many significant events, uh, you've got a lot to tell in a comparatively short period of time. So, yeah, when you mentioned it, seeming like things wander a bit, yeah, okay, that's that's a sin for this one. Uh,
0: oh my goodness, Stellan and as Cerdic, yeah, he's basically one of the villains, but yeah, just they. The plot goes askew several times. It's like you're not really sure where this one's going to go. And that's a criticism of more of, I think, the script rather than a criticism of the movie. I'm a fan of the visual style, and I'm also a fan of how they were really going with uh, one of the legends of Arthur in post-Roman Britain is that he was aided by a, a Roman engineer gone native had been lost and thus his ability to make castles fall at command or cross great rivers. Yeah. Uh, uh, Things that seemed incredible at the time he could make possible. Uh, I noticed that they were hitting that one. I can't remember his, uh...
1: well, yeah, coming up with a real explanation for uh, historical circumstances. Uh, or a realistic uh, explanation for historical or legendary circumstances to, to have that birth point be something that was rooted in fact and then became mythologized later. I again, this is a thing where I think it was an admirable intention going into this movie. Uh, it just may not have been executed in a way that I think the average viewer connected with um, it just...
0: Yeah, there's a cover on Dragon Some Magazine that like has the, uh, by Roger Rout back in the uh, late 80s that had uh, Arthur facing off Gawain in front of Herodron's wall. And it was done very historically Celtic. Ah. And uh, that, that's what this movie really struck me with was that they didn't make any pretensions that this was, there was going to be no magic. Um, there was going to be no... Uh, mystical elements to this other than perhaps the paganism of the uh, woad folk. It was going to be a pretty much retelling of what they think is the source of the legend. And they, I think, got pretty close to that. And whether or not I think it was the way to go with Arthurian myth, I can't be sure. But as far as gaming goes, on this one, if you were to use a more serious approach to some uh, higher system and get rid of the magic, uh, you would have a no better system to use than the basic role-playing system or GURPS Arthur and remove the magic uh, to run this uh, kind of scenario out. And if you were deeply involved in post-Roman Britain and the late Celtic era med- melding those together, you could do a lot worse than look at this movie as a template.
1: Fair enough, yeah. I'm inclined to agree. Uh, You could do much worse. And we did not intentionally, usually, we seem to have in a film night, uh, a third movie that is a complete stinker. Uh, This is not the case here, okay? We just feel, uh, you know, for I think valid reasons, that this was third in the lineup uh, in terms of best entertainment value. So it's not really a truly negative review. yeah, it just unlike with some of the others where we get it, stigmatized. It feels like slot it, three, where we're like, this is for the real pigs. No, not not this time. We left the real pigs off the board. We're not including any of those. We're not going to touch them with a ten foot pole. Yeah,
0: uh,
1: and we are not dissing the comedic value of the one unspoken. That movie. which shall not be named. That which shall not be named.
0: Uh, don't talk about it. You I'll know don't that one.
1: We're not dissing that as because that was done for comedic effect, for laughter, uh, you know, and it was a wonderful, wonderful thing of which we are very, very fond. Okay, okay, I can't take any more. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) We we can't even brush up against it. (laughs) Uh, Just can't. (laughs) Stop! Teasing me. Oh. Or I shall dunk you with. Second, second time! time. <laughs> <laughs> What's happening? It's like a black hole's event horizon. Curse we're just, you. We're so close to getting pulled in. It's
0: so hard to resist. I don't know how she second time. I just wanted to say it, but you beat me to. Thanks. Okay. Alright, now right. the time's passed. Let's compose ourselves. That's our
1: big three. Yeah. I hope people had fun. Uh, And if you're thinking of it, you you really should go out and and, uh, give yourself a chance to see at least those three. Because I I feel like those were the most worthy three um, that are good gamer inspiration material.
0: Because, let's face it, as I said earlier, when it comes to Arthurian canonical source material, there is none. Yeah. If you decide to write it however you want. And I could completely go for a just taking all the major characters out of the deities and demigods of the Arthurian Mythos and just running a first edition game with that.
1: Yeah, that entirely valid choice, which I,
0: I believe was... Uh, they gave some basic rules on how the magic's lessened. There's more enchantments than there are fireballs, but, you yeah, know... A
1: lot more enchantment, charms. and druids, and stuff uh, like that. But... Far less of the, like, let's blow stuff up.
0: Right. But there is plenty of troll and ogre kicking going around, as well as occasional rapacious bands of goblins in the deep, dark forests. Aye. And, you know, you can gather around in your plate, and dark halls lit by roaring fires where great beasts are held, and wild boasts and claims are made, and oaths are taken, and mighty quests are given. So... Yeah, that's the spirit of Arthur, that Arthurian myth that I like. Pendragon does it, I think, the best, but, you know, um, there are other systems. Uh, The GURPS Arthurian book is a treasure treasure show for a lot of people, just quickly making use of that, and, you know... And um, I'm going
1: to be honest, uh, the one setting that I consider, like, second to Pendragon uh, for Arthurian mythos uh, is RuneQuest. Which captures the, you know, age of, uh, like the iron age of uh, heroism and. Yeah, story the end and of so. the bronze
0: and the, and the start of the iron, yeah. Yeah,
1: walking into the beginning of a new age uh, and the, like, epic sense of uh, both responsibility to your people uh, and connection to the land. All of those things are present in RuneQuest, too. So, uh, yeah, that's, which is why RuneQuest holds such a beloved place in our hearts. But Pendragon, for the true, close-to-Arthurian mythos' own, hits the target right in the bullseye.
0: Yep. So, all right, well, we hope you enjoyed. And, of course, as always, if you have any comments and concerns, because you should have concerns listening to us this long. Hey, we're at 17,000 listens. Man, thank you. I never thought we'd get this far, but uh, it still blows my mind that we're this close to 20,000. I said at 20,000, if we got that many, it'd probably be... A miracle and yet here we are so we have you <laughs> folks to thank for it so again to make sure that you favorite our podcast so you can get all the information when we when a new podcast drops and of course look at us at the uh, dice of screaming and mock i leave memes there for you folks so i hope you enjoyed those as well <laughs> and as always you can get a hold of us on twitter at the usual haunts but that'll do it for us and we're going to wrap this one up in a bow so we'll see you later until the next time May the dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya.